You're listening to The Setup Podcast, a podcast that helps you navigate new topics in music, tech, and entrepreneurship with the most disruptive professionals in the music industry, turning their experiences working behind the scenes into actionable advice you can use. I'm Sydney. And I'm Sam. And And we're we're your hosts for for The Setup Setup Podcast. Podcast. If you're like us, passionate about paving your own path, hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite app because we'll help set you up for success at The Setup Podcast. We have two exciting announcements. First off, we have a new co-host with us today, my twin sister, Samantha, but you can call her Sam. Hello, hello. I'm elated to finally be included in your podcast series. Not only am I excited to meet new people during the pandemic, but also to make a pivot from my super exciting IT consulting career. And this season features all the powerful women entrepreneurs in music, or as I recently found out, my new favorite term in the whole world, musicpreneurs. Ha ha. Thanks for that one, Samantha. Hey, Sanino, I has got your back. Emily Satterley is our first female musicpreneur, singer-songwriter turned co-founder of Itty Ditty, a tech startup that transforms how artists and producers collaborate. Previous to her current role, Emily launched a full-service production agency that aimed to help artists develop their sound and produce their music. Now with Itty Ditty, Emily is determined to provide a similar support system for all DIY artists. We are sitting here with Emily Satterley, the CEO of Itty Ditty. Thanks for joining us today on the first episode of second season of the Setup Podcast. Woo! <laughs> I'm that excited. was not planned. That was not planned. That's a twin thing. <laughs> I know. I'm excited to be the first two-on-one guest with you guys. Yeah, it's Twin, a, twinning. something. <laughs> oh, for sure. We're going to make that um, hashtag trend. Yeah. Um, so um, you just moved to Nashville and you're currently staying in a tiny home on Reba's farm. Is that still true? <laughs> no, you're, li- you're a couple weeks behind on the Insta, um, but I'm glad it still looks like that. But um, no, I did do that for a while. That was like a couple months because I needed like a transition mm-hmm. home because I didn't know anyone here and uh, found that on Airbnb. Yeah. She, someone, some real estate developer like bought all of her old land, this huge farm that she used to run. Um, it's like 30 minutes outside of Nashville. And he had, he made little tiny sheds there. They're not even like tiny homes, they're like tiny <laughs> sheds. And he also converted the whole like stable into these um, two story uh, Airbnb units too. So it's a really cool place. Did you get to meet her? No, she's, I don't know where she lives now, but it's not, <laughs> it's not there. But it's cool. You can Google like uh, Google the Starstruck Ranch and see mm-hmm. the photos from before of her like in the stables and on the land and, and how it looks now. It's pretty cool. It definitely sounds like it. Um, what brought you to Nashville? Itty Diddy, my company, we got accepted into a accelerator and accelerator program mm-hmm. here at Project Music at the Entrepreneurial Center in downtown Nashville. And it was a year, it was supposed to, well, it is a year long program, but it was supposed to all be in person um, and start back in March. And then everything kind of happened and it, we're doing it mostly virtual now, but there's still some in-person components that you can take advantage of. And I'm just kind of a nomad and I was ready. I was like looking forward to making the move. And so I just did it anyway. That's really exciting. I am obsessed with Nashville. Do you think you're going to stay um, for a long time after the uh, accelerator program? I hope so. I mean, I'm looking for like a forever home. I have just traveled around like my whole 20s and looking to find somewhere to settle. So I hope so. I hope I like it, but I might just be like a vagabond for life. Like maybe I'll never grow out of it. I don't know. Um, But I also like, I've just dedicated like my whole last four years of my life, like nights, weekends, the whole deal to the company. And I just want to be wherever I should be to help that grow and flourish. Like that's my number one priority. So um, I'm definitely thinking I'll be here for a couple of years. And then, and then see. Honestly, by the name of your company, I would have thought that you guys started in Nashville. It feels like a, like a twang, you know? (laughs) Itty ditty. Yeah. It's a, a, that's a country song, right? Like the itty bitty. Yeah. You're itty ditty. (laughs) 
It's all right. Be itty bitty. (laughs) And it's interesting, like ditty is an old timey, like slang word for a a song, Mm -hmm. but we work with a lot of young artists and I don't know that they necessarily know that, but you know what? Companies have all kinds of crazy names these days. Like it really doesn't matter. And and I like the fact that it's like a rhyme, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's fun. So that kind of represents the brand. Yeah, it definitely sticks. And before you got to Nashville, you were in Denver or Colorado for so, for quite some time. And it also seems like you're all over the place, to be honest, like before that LA, right? Yeah. Yeah. I will. California was, is kind of still my home. I'm from Michigan, but I moved out to Cali when I was 18 mm-hmm. or not even 18. I graduated high school early and I was like, I'm out of here. Um, <laughs> and drove out by myself. So I was there from... 18 to 30, a little after I turned 30, maybe before I left, but I was up and down the coast. It was everywhere from like San Diego to Orange County to LA to Monterey to San Francisco. So, you know, cause they say California is like a couple States in and of itself. Right. So I would move around a lot there, but then it was in the first few years. So I'm 30, about to be 35. So the first few years of my thirties, I, then I started like really just, I got a new car. So I just drove all around the country, like for a few years, basically, and was checking out everywhere. That's amazing. I could actually agree with that. I took a road trip from LA to Portland a couple of years ago. And it honestly felt like I was in a different part of the country going farther and farther up North, even though it was all California. Mm, Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a different, not even like the, the trees and the nature Mm -hmm. and the uh, climate and all of that, but like the people and the culture and everything is is more slow and laid back. And you got San Luis Obispo, that's mm-hmm. always, and then all of the like marijuana fields. <laughs> so like uh, super relaxed vibe up there is, is yeah different from like LA where it's like a rat race and everything. So yeah, what, what would you say that your personality fits a little bit better? Are you a little bit more fast paced, or do you like a little bit of chill time? I'm, I think I like chill time more, but, Mm -hmm. and, but it's weird because only because I think I'm actually more productive, like in those environments Mm -hmm. and I love being like productive, but when I'm in, um, somewhere that's too busy, like I just can't hear my own thoughts or like, I just don't have time to sit down and, and think like, what do I really want to do? And then focus on it. So I've always tried to like move to LA and then I ended up like in in an outskirt. I was like in the Valley um, or in Orange County. Um, I tried to move to San Francisco and I ended up in Monterey. Um, I tried to move to Denver. I ended up in Fort Collins. So mm. I'll probably, you know, try to move to Nashville. I'll probably end up back on the, on the ranch. We'll see. How it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I'm assuming your career in singing and songwriting brought you out to California. Um, how was your like time there and give us a little bit more of your background. I actually didn't start like writing songs or singing songs until I was out there. So I never moved out to California like to become a musician. I just moved out to California because I had seen a video of the beach. (laughs) (laughs) But um, when I was out there, that was the first time I fell in love. And I had gotten a guitar on my 16th birthday, I think. But because I knew like I was, was drawn to it. And I mean, when I was like, I was really like drawn to recorded music from a really early age. I was always like listening to um, my Walkman and always like recording off of, like Casey Kasem's Top 40 and just listening back to songs like her. And I lived on a farm when I was young, so it wasn't like I was, you know, going to live concerts or and my parents weren't. That wasn't my world. I was always in like a recorded music world. Um, but I was always drawn to like guitar driven songs, Shell Crow and Alanis Morissette. Those were all like my heroes. And so I wanted a guitar when I was 16, but I really didn't get into playing it until after I had already moved out to California and had like an ex- a heartbreak and like a, something to write about. And uh, I started playing my songs out live uh, there because, you know, there's like a scene and that's what people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like I was a natural songwriter. I mean, I've always been like a English, like was my favorite you know, a topic in school. And, um, the first five songs I wrote, like just came out and I, and my friends like really liked them. So started performing them out live. And, um, at one of the performances I was approached by someone who introduced themselves as a music producer to me. And this was like 2008. So it was like, um, 
or earlier. I don't, so it was kind of like home recording and like wasn't really a thing yet. So when someone was like, oh, I'm a music producer and you can come over and record and produce some these songs, like they're good in my house. That was like not really heard of, heard of back then. And yeah. It wasn't something that I was seeking out. Um, but I was like, okay, sure. That, that sounds great. And then like, once you get a taste of it and you're like doing it, you're like, oh, this is awesome. Like, I like that experience of, you know, being able to hear yourself in the headphones. And um, I really clicked with that producer. We had like similar influences, like the 90s influences. Um, and the song, I mean, it only took like a couple weeks or something for some mm-hmm. of these songs to come together. And I thought that they were, they were pretty good. So that relationship just didn't end up, end up being good. So basically what happened after that was um, I had a friend who passed those songs on to someone at a big label and there was like some label interest, which isn't like that unheard of when you're like living in LA. I mean, they just kind of wanted to start a conversation. In the in the meantime, basically this producer had started, wanted, he wanted to date me. He kind of made some advances. He wanted to like take me to Hawaii. There was like, um, and he was much older. He was like 10 or 15 years older and I wasn't into it. Um, And then when he got wind of like that, you know, these songs had kind of caught the attention of these labels. He started making these like crazy requests of like he wanted to be credited as an artist on the song, like his name and my name when he's like not saying it would be weird. And yeah, um, (laughs) like they never want to be like, who is what? Um, And he wanted like majority songwriting credits. He was making really gratuitous demands that like he knew I wasn't going to like accept. And yeah. when I was like, I we can work something out, but that's not it. You know, he was just like, he halted the project and he even like went as far as like threatening me, having a lawyer threaten me to not ever work with any other producer on those songs ever again. Wow. And, or, and sue me for some money that the songs could have made if I had just like given in to his like requests. And it's like, you know, looking back on that experience at the time that was scary. And I basically mm-hmm. just like gave in and it sucked because I was like, um, I didn't, I was young and naive and I didn't have any contracts in place to protect myself. And I had no idea what was going on. But looking back, like he was older, he knew what was going on. Oh, absolutely. Do you think that's common? For a long time, I didn't know. And even mm-hmm. I still like have, I, I just, cause for such a long time I felt stupid and I felt like shame, like what had I had done wrong? Um, that, that still like kind of ingrained in me a little bit. So even now when these stories are starting to come out with, me too, which really hasn't fully hit the industry because a lot of it happens on like this DIY level. It's not happening um, at the top, but yeah, of course. Yeah, it definitely happens. And I, now that I talk to work with so many artists, I hear it all the time. And every time I hear, I hear it, it's still healing for me because mm-hmm. I still like carry some yeah emotion behind it. I mean, the great thing too now is that you can carry that into like your purpose and your mission with your company yeah. back in the day when you were starting off, what was the most confusing part for you during that whole process? After that, yeah, I moved on. Like, obviously that was like um, a shell shock experience for my first Mm -hmm. experience, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to keep going. And I went to school for production to see if like, it's something that I could learn myself. Um, And I started working with other producers and it was totally confusing. You have no idea who's going to be a good fit for you. You have no idea what a fair price is to pay or like who's going to vibe with you, you know? So here I'm paying, you know, a few hundred dollars for this song and I don't like it. And you know, he looked good on paper, but like, wasn't, it's not quality or it just wasn't a good fit or he didn't do anything special to it or whatever. So that's a huge problem. Just there's, there's a lot of risk in it. There's so Mm -hmm. much risk for the artist um, in music production specifically, just because it's just such like, you really need like a creative click with that person. um, And that there's so many other things going on. You need to make sure you have contracts in place. Obviously that Mm -hmm. was something that um, was a bad experience for me, not having those contracts in place. Very common. Um, I also worked with like, then I was like trying to work with the big wig producers out in LA who had all of these like um, credits and, it's the same thing it just wasn't it wasn't as good as sometimes when I'd work with somebody for less money so it's like it was just like how and then you know you lose I've talked and you lose thousands of dollars and I still like I it's hard for me to say that because again I feel like stupid and ashamed but I talked to so many artists it's just Mm -hmm. such a common thing like that they lose thousands of dollars so yeah I went to school for music production but you know that's a skill set that takes 20, 15 years sometimes, or just like the hours more than the years. And it's like, right. what do you want to allocate your time to? Is that, was I going to become a music producer or did I want to be an artist? Mm-hmm. 
And what is the music making process like? I, th- I feel like there's a way that it should be done, but there's no blueprint, right? Because it's DIY, um, as opposed to like the old record industry. If an artist was playing a song out live and they were kind of discovered by the label, the label would step in and walk them through a process of artist development, of helping them to flesh out their sound and of pairing them with a producer and or like instrumentalists and collaborators who were a good fit to break an artist that happened all the time. Um, And now that that isn't there, artists don't, there is no set process. Um, That's what we're trying to, you know, build out with it. He did is like a guide and a a structure for them to go through, which starts with figuring out who you are um, based on like your influences and your tastes and figuring out, well, yeah, what styles work for your music, instruments, moods, emotions work for your music and kind of figuring that out first, because that's going to save you a lot of time when you then go into the studio with a producer. Um, It's going to help you to figure out who's the best fit for you when you go in and work with a producer. And that step often gets overlooked. But then once you do that and you you kind of find a producer, you're working with them. Music production is basically adding stylistic instrumentation to your songs to fill them out and make them radio ready and also adding like um, effects to the tracks to alter uh, the sound of the instruments and the sound of the song Um, and then mix and master it. So it's a quality piece of work. Wow. So it really does seem like like artists have to kind of understand a lot of moving pieces when it comes to a song. Like there's a ton of factors that go into it, especially with finding the right producer, because as it seems like you could lose a lot of time, a lot of money, you really want to make sure that you find someone that fits and who you are as a person and like the way you like to work the way your music sounds can and really also like yeah. eliminating those like communication barriers between mm-hmm, your right. producer. Like maybe the producer is a good fit for you, but you didn't get what you wanted because you as a 17 year old newbie has no idea how to talk to um, a producer in a language that they can understand. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and that's actually a frustration we solve a lot for producers too. It's like, you know, they want that because pro- it takes them like, you know, twice as long to get it right or something. Um, you know, an artist might say like, I want more reverb, but not actually know, maybe they're actually asking for delay. They don't know the production language um, to speak. Uh, And, or they just haven't done the work to figure out who they are. And so that's now that burden is kind of fallen on the shoulders of these producers to do, which has really always been like an intermediary job before it was the job of like A&R or a label mm-hmm. before it was like given to the producer. And there's just um, so much pressure and expectation on the producer who might be very, very talented, might be a great fit for the artist, but they weren't able to communicate with each other. Oh, do you- And do you think it is pretty common that, you know, if there is some kind of barrier like that, you're that people leave a producer and go on to the next one pretty frequently? Depends on the access that the artist has. So if Mm -hmm. the artist has a lot of other options then they'll probably move on. But um, I know a lot of artists that have tried and tried again with the same producer and just kind of get more frustrated and, and that energy is going to mess up your relationship too. It is a very intimate relationship between you and a producer um and so you have to the energy has to be right when you guys are co-creating and if you're having all of this miscommunication and frustration like what's going to happen to the song like it's not going to be good absolutely are there any resources that you would recommend that artists can look into for simple terminology like a reverb Mm -hmm. that's a good question um i don't know of anyone uh of any resource like that off the top of my head. However, we're creating that within our like artist development software. So we have, we've created like a library of audio samples that showcase you what wet, a wet song is versus a dry song. So wet is when it's like filled with reverb or filled with effects versus dry. And it has little of that going on. So you can audibly hear the difference. And then the artist can say this is what I prefer more oh that's really cool like an a b test and then they kind of figure out what matches them honestly I could use that because in my editing and mastering process I have to do similar things although I'm just on two audio files I literally like two tracks I 
literally deal with that terminology. I'm constantly researching and Googling and Mm. it's just like getting random individuals who post random things and I'm still kind of left like, oh, okay, I think I kind of know what that means. So I'll try it out. And to me- I mean, I hear myself doing it too. I know a, a a bunch about production. I went to school for it, but I don't, I'm not like a top tier producer myself or anything. And sometimes I'll catch myself doing like, Maybe that's a little too dirty. <laughs> and you're like, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. But it, <laughs> it obviously happens with um, inexperienced musicians, um, it, with, well, inexperienced with production. Of course, right. of course they're not going to know how, how to say all that. And the producer's job is to figure out what they really mean. Mm-hmm. A lot of producers know that they don't like that. They're saying dirty, but probably don't know that. But then they have to do all this digging to like figure out what, they really mean. And if there was just a way for them to be speaking the same language, it would really streamline things a lot. (laughs) So yeah, tell us more about that then. Like when is that launching and can you share any information on it? So yeah, so the platform is launched uh, in terms of like, we do artist uh, producer matchmaking. Um, We allow artists to work with multiple producers and get pitched by multiple producers and hear their song in different ways to find and select their favorite producer. Um, the communication portal is something we've been we can, uh, continually refining. What we just, uh, it's, pre- it's almost done. What we just launched yesterday is our um, production personality profile assessment, which is, mm-hmm. so uses these similar tools that I'm talking about. Um, and it basically is a genealogy report or like a 23andMe profile of you as an artist and who you are, like what elements make up your sound, including like we're talking about like whether you tend to lean more towards favoring something clean or something mm-hmm. dirty, something busy, something concise. And it and that profile has those audio examples. Um, so you look through it and you can see where you are on a scale of like of one style to the next and what genres make up your sound, which can totally help with branding and marketing what instruments to like, what the difference is. I'm 75% acoustic electric and 25% acoustic or whatever. And you can hear the difference between that or like the, or the guitar effects um, that go onto your instruments um, and, and yeah, what you favor. And we do all of that by, you fill out an assessment, you say like what you fill out, like what kinds of songs you like what song what what you like about those songs what you don't like about those songs mm-hmm. um and we run it through this kind of database that we've been building out for a year wait that is so much fun and that adds an extra layer for the artist to like level up yeah it's a place to start like it's somewhere exactly. to start from and then and then you can go from there like when when and if you collaborate with a producer on music Once you have created your masterpiece and are ready to share it with the world, head over to distrokid.com. It's an easy platform to upload your mastered music and distribute it to every major streaming service at at an affordable price. So how did your career um, influence your role now then? Yeah. So uh, after all of that happened early on, um, so now that's like, I don't even know. 17 years ago. I don't know how old I am, but that was a long time ago when I had those like personal hardships of trying to get my songs produced. But after that, I did get into like the business side of things. I went on to study music production or music production, but music business also in college. And I had started, I launched one of the largest songwriters meetups in Southern California um, where we would host songwriting workshops and I would pair artists with producers in the studio. Um, and we'd do like songwriting competitions and Oh, I did like a artist development program where I was a part of that. So I was developed as an artist, but it was like with a lot of industry bigwigs. And I got this like um, real look into uh, how the industry works in terms of like pitching your songs to major artists and how sync and licensing deals work. Um, And then after that, I launched an indie label in Los Angeles with some colleagues of mine where I was like in charge of the marketing and PR and tour planning for the artists. I was also like um, the legal liaison and making sure all the artists like had the contracts were in place. 
And so, yeah, like looking back on that now, it's like, oh, I was like totally trying to protect artists from having that, those mm-hmm. nightmare experiences that I had, even with all of that, those projects that I was working on, like prior to Itty Ditty, I don't think like I even realized that at the time. And I had the light bulb moment for Itty Ditty. I do remember that brainchild and when that was born. I had that, just the moment for a uh, concept for the whole platform um, during those years, kind of. Um, and when I was at that indie label, working at that indie label, but it was like five, four or five years after that, before I like actually was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And I kind of had like a different path where I just kind of like made my own way into it and I built my own thing. Um, but I will say like now that we are at a place where we are looking to build the team and hire, um, I'm not looking for people that have a resume of like they've worked at Sony or they've worked at Cobalt. Like Mm -hmm. I care. I mean, that's great, but I need you to be a hustler and I need you to be a self starter. And I care way more about that. Like I barely look at a resume. Like I just, I will interview you. I will give you some tasks to do and a little project to work on and like, see how you do. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, especially like with, with all of these like music startups coming out and with the democratization of the whole industry and the whole business, there's a lot of opportunity to break into the industry without having to go like that traditional route of, of having to work your way up the ladder at a, mm-hmm. at one of the, you know, big three, the universal Sony or Warner. Or something Absolutely. Like and honestly, like I, so I don't, I just recently started building a career in music, um, but my background was more so advertising. You know, she comes from IT. And so looking into, looking at the music industry as an outsider for so long, I used to think, oh my God, this is a black hole. And like a lot of people still feel that way, even if they are kind of in it. And I think with the help of your technology and other startups, like you know, decentralizing it from those top three, it just, like you said, it gives so much more opportunity and more transparency into how things work. And, yeah. And just in general, it gives the opportunity to people that never thought they would have it. Or if like, seriously, if doors keep closing, they have the other routes. Yeah. Like the little help. guys without the resources, mm-hmm. yep. the big ones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you ever felt any like obstacles because of your gender since that moment when you were 17 or so? I, so I'm like more, I feel like I'm more in the startup world, right? The tech world often than I am in the oh, music yeah. world, which, you know, I don't always love. And like, I, you know, I was talking with you guys earlier and it's like, I'm actually giving myself a two week break over the next two weeks to get back to like our why and our mission and, yes. you know, why we started this company because you can get so off track um, with pitching to investors and, um, and trying to like, you know, check off all the boxes that they want checked off. But so, yeah, so in that world, certainly, you know, there's just, there just are unconscious biases. Like it's, it's just a thing. Um, there's, especially, I think I will see like a, when I tell a woman in the music industry about itty ditty and what we do. And I mentioned, I just mentioned me too. They get it. Like, I don't have to, there's no explanation that I have to to explain how we correct a power imbalance between young women and older males in the industry. Kind of bring that same topic up to a a male in the industry. Um, There needs, there needs to be more um, explanation behind it, Mm -hmm. which is fine. And I also am always just kind of like, I just feel like their eyes don't light up as much, you know? So it is like, I have, consciously understood like I'm probably going to have more luck with female investors in terms of like the story, our, our story behind the company. Um, but unfortunately there's far less female investors. Mm-hmm. So it's hard mm-hmm. as a female founder. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there is because I think a lot of people like to put like this quick judgment and this quick trust in someone that they can relate to. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like just being a female, like I'm sure it's probably, I mean, looking at your product, it's, it seems like an obvious yes, but I think just based off of like who you look like is going to still be an issue, like regardless of who you are. So I could totally see that. Yeah. I mean, there's science behind it. Like there's science, there's science that says like even women zone out more when they're listening to a female voice speaking than a male's voice. Fortunately, 
I think there's science behind the fact that when you have a chip on your shoulder, mm-hmm. you, you actually work harder and have more likelihood to succeed. So that's, it's also a benefit. Yeah, and I think it's a clear indicator of your drive um, and what you've been doing and just from you owning your own company and making that break into the industry. What advice would you give younger females or even people that are trying to get into the industry? Um, I, I think anyone, but yeah, especially females, if you, mm-hmm. you can't, you just can't think about that. You really have to listen to your own gut, your own voice. I think shut everything out. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish that personally, if you're, if you're talking about like someone who has like a startup idea in the music industry, yeah, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time uh, focusing on checking out the boxes for investors because mm-hmm. I was doing so much better before when I was just focused on making the product the way that I wanted to make the product, focusing on the brand and the story and just in this kind of stuff, like building out this production yeah. personality thing. I mean, I, I, ha- I have had, you know, potential investors be like, why are you spending so much time on that? It's like, we still haven't, you know, it's just launching. So I haven't proven mm-hmm. my theory, like that this is such a valuable piece so that I know it's going to prove to be. Um, and that's just my gut. And that's from my experience in listening to myself. Um, and that's when you're going to make something that's innovative, um, that's going to break through the noise. And that's what's going on right now, I think, too, like with COVID, mm-hmm. like everyone has been isolated from their peers and like having to listen to everybody else. So I think that like, we're going to merge out of this with like, I think like the next couple of years could are going to be like bananas like oh 100% everything that's you know what happens when you shut everything else out and you really look at yourself and you're like okay what do I have to offer what can I do with my own resources and what do I want that's yeah that's my biggest advice but yeah it especially applies to females because we are so wanting to please everyone I mean that's like our nature all the time um so yeah stop doing that (laughs) (laughs) that's incredible advice I feel like I have to remind myself that all the time (laughs) so I feel you and I think that can help so many people so thank you so much for that bringing it back like into the weeds of the of production I'd love to learn more about like you know what independent artists can look for when they are collaborating with like anyone including producers what factors should they look at when choosing the right producer? Yeah, I mean, definitely like listen to the past work that they've done. Um, if you can actually talk with the artists uh, that they have worked with, wish I would have done that. Um, you know, come to find out years later, I was not the first um, person that had that same experience with that same yeah. producer. Crazy. Um, so, you know, and I had heard her music. He had showed me her music and was like, talking proudly about it. And then I talked to her and it was like, she just had this horrible nightmare experience working with him. Um, so if you can actually talk to the references, um, in terms of like what to look for. Yeah. I think a vibe and a communication, you being comfortable enough to say what you want and what you like, what you don't like, especially like just with the old school type producers, it's very like, I, I'm in the producer chair. Mm-hmm. Um, you're there. <laughs> and that's, and it, that might even be a lot of times like a subconscious thing, but like as an artist, you enter the room and you're just like in the corner, uh, it does feel like immediately, like you don't have a voice, like you're just the artist and the producer is in charge. And so um, I would really pay attention to the vibe and look for a producer, like when you enter the room that they're making you like comfortable and they're making you feel like an equal in the relationship because you certainly are. Um, yeah, if you can get a little, you know, spec work is like, that's always been in the industry and still works in the industry today. If there's a major artist, if like Gwen Stefani is doing a new song, there's all, there's always producers that are going to be doing spec. That's not anything new. It's actually how the industry works. And so there's nothing wrong with asking a producer to show you what they could do with your song. um, A little like a taste of it before Mm -hmm. you actually work with them. Honestly, I think that's kind of beautiful. The fact that your product and platform kind of puts it in the hands of the artist and makes the artist feel more in control. That's absolutely it. Yeah. Um, And because when that happens, the artist has to feel comfortable and confident Mm -hmm. or they're not going to get the result that they want. 
no matter what. And even if it was like great, like they'll probably walk away feeling like I didn't even, you know, I didn't do it. Like it isn't mine or something. And it's, mm. it is your, it is yours and you can speak up and you can say what you want. And if there's like a weird vibe, you're going to walk away feeling like that it was their work or something that you yeah. just don't, it's not something that you're proud of. Like, that's what we want. We want artists to walk away with something that makes them feel confident, like mm -hmm. confident of like going forward and makes them feel validated as an artist. Like, yeah, that environment and that feeling does not exist in the way that the DIY industry currently operates. So true. It's, it's very um, producer empowered, which yes. is, and by the way, I love producers and producers love our platform. They yes. say <laughs> like, so many producers nowadays are like living in their mom's bedroom, yeah. cannot get, or, sorry, mom's basement. <laughs> that would be really weird. Mom's bedroom. <laughs> uh, they're living in their mom's basement and they, um, you know, have been working hard to like refine their craft and they're really good. Just like, um, you know, now the famous example is Phineas with Billie Eilish. I was just going to say that. And do you have any tips for those bedroom producers who are just starting off? Yeah, so they love us because how the industry works, it's not democratized for producers either. Like they are stuck at the bottom. They're stuck underneath all of these producers mm -hmm. that have the credits built up, but are kind of like, how do I phrase? <laughs> they're kind of old school and they're stuck in their ways. So they love the fact that they get to go on our site and submit a spec and the process is blind, by the way. So when you get to that spec work process, the artist doesn't know who the which submission belongs to who and they're only picking a producer based on the quality and the creativity of that spec mm -hmm. not based on who the producer says they have or have not worked because sometimes those those credentials are unsubstantiated or like they say they you know they they'll list like Katy Perry as someone they've worked with but they you know all they did was played the kazoo on it or something like they didn't <laughs> actually produce it none of that is relevant on our platform. It's really just like what you're capable of. And so it allows anyone to break through and it also eliminates um, gender biases and, mm -hmm. um, and any kind of other discrimination. Like a lot of producers that are like kind of stuck in hip hop, but they've yeah. always wanted to work with a singer songwriter and folk out of Nashville or something, but they're never going to get hired by a singer songwriter out of Nashville because they live in Atlanta and they're in the hip hop scene and, but they actually might be able to not only do exactly what the artist wants, but add a little extra different kind of flair that really brings it to like this whole new level, which by the way, used to also was kind of how the industry used to work. Like in the label days, like mm -hmm. they would bring in unexpected, the label had this vantage point where they knew if they brought in these unexpected right. elements, it could really like um, break a song. Uh, and so we're kind of allowing that magic to happen. And that kind of like, blurs the line between genres and I think that's what's happening in music like you just said anyways but it's normally coming from like the bigger companies the labels at what point in uh, an artist's career should they hire a producer that's a really good question um very personal in the beginning um I was really worried about working with anyone too young um you know you still have a lot of a lot to flush out um, and development to do, but I had a really good mentor point out to me, like just by using, there's so much you learn, yeah. even just to do one song, even if this artist was 13, but it's like, you know what she walked away with was an understanding of like how a collaboration should work, that she can be empowered in the process, that um, there is a difference between working with uh, one producer versus the next, that not all producers are the same, what a fair price point is to pay for the producers, that you should be protected, what royalty splits are, I mean, on and on and on. So um, I think if you're learning the lessons that really will get you to the next level, then it's okay to start production. Um, and learn those skills and that might be like with a friend that you have mm -hmm. and that's you know maybe where you start um, you haven't written the best song ever yet so don't you don't have to go spend any money yet if you if there are ways for you to flesh it out with someone you know or on your own first I would say like anytime you want to spend any kind of like real money on it uh, it is a song that like you've tested out on your friends um, it's that one song that you know gets requested um, by everyone when you when you're playing out that they want to hear like that that would be the recommendation 
That's some good advice. And I'm happy that you brought up like actually having money to pay for it. What can artists expect to pay and what do those royalty splits look like? So it's like the blurriest part of the whole thing. And there's never been anyone that wants, the, I dare you to try to Google it, you know, like right. and nobody wants Trust to me, say, I try. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> nice. No one wants to say an answer because uh, once there's an answer, then everyone has to adhere to it. Or, But we survey all of our producers. We have hundreds of producers on the site. So we have a lot of um, wow. data behind. Um, and it, it is a range. It ranges from, from free to 500 to 5,000 per song. But how we see it would be like a, a tiered system in the future because producers will work with an up-and-comer for less money and more back end. And if there's potential to get um, those royalties on the back end. So I think there are, um, there should be kind of different deal structures depending on is the artist gigging, you know, are they actively trying to promote their music and just the quality of the the potential of the song and everything like that. Well, there's no, okay. There's no reason that you need to be paying $5,000 a song. Yeah. That sounds crazy. I was actually, what's an example? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think, and maybe I think, Maybe that is like just at the label level, like mm-hmm. a like a like a Jason Aldean song, and then they're yeah. paying like the the highest, most talented, um, you know, steel guitar player in Nashville. But it's yeah. like there's, but as a as a DIY independent artist, you can get a very good steel guitar player and get a very good product without having to pay uh, five thousand dollars. Well, I was going to say too that's kind of wild, even if you're thinking about the tier the other way how you might have a more seasoned um, producer versus the person that maybe might be starting out, but yet, you know, they're all getting a flat race to also give an equal opportunity. I think it's great because it kind of like standardizes it instead of people like- Instead of people naming their own price. Yeah, like like gouging, you know, new new artists who aren't familiar with how it is because like we were just talking, yeah, like literally, like being predators yeah. on um, new artists who can't Google it. So I, I, I'm such a fan of that stuff because I look at all the other industries and even industries I've been in and everything is more transparent and standardized across like, you know what you're getting, you know, like even like salaries and bonuses and even everyone at the company knows when their raises and stuff. It's like, why is music such a black hole still? And why are people so protective because music hasn't been disrupted. It's a, it's, yes, it's that's exactly. a total, it's still an antiquated industry that is DIY and like artists empowered. It's like okay, everything's happening on the independent level. So yes. why are we still like listening to these suits at the top? Yeah. Us, like, or like these industry veterans in these major production studios or whatever who say, I mean, we have gotten hate mail from those types of producers wow. who say like, stop what you're doing. Like this isn't how it's supposed to be done. And, it's like, how is it supposed so to be fun. done? Yeah. Let me tell you how it worked for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what is the right way? Yeah. And that's so subjective. And like, also, that's why I have people like you on it because, well, we now, because hey. <laughs> double trouble, <laughs> because like, because you never hear about this, the, the disruptions in music and it's really fascinating. And I think more people need to hear about it. Another thing that blows my mind as an outsider is like the royalty situation. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how you're paying a producer um, just for their service, which is normal. Like anyone can buy a service for anything, but then why would they have claims on this song? So it's like they're getting double paid because like, it's, it's always been that way. Like it just depends on the deal, right? So like a lot of the DIY deals that go down with like if you're working with your friend or you're working with an independent producer, they don't they don't really care. A lot of producers will tell you like I don't care about royalties because there's not that much money in it. I think it just depends if you're working with like a major artist. It makes it more hopefully. I think that the, hopefully they're structuring those deals so that it just makes it more like affordable. I mean, if you're going to work with Adele in a new song that you know is going to be like millions of dollars in royalties, like I think it's justifiable that you should work it. You should be getting royalties because there's no amount of upfront payment that's kind of going to like assuage that. So I think royalties make sense in certain situations. So again, it's like, you know, you got to look at the level of the artist and how much you're getting upfront. But again, I don't even think that upfront payment necessarily matters if you know, if that song has a lot of potential, like, yeah, I think that, I think it's justified that 
you, the producer would get some royalties in those situations. I, I can see that. I still, I guess I am not in the industry, like I'm not an artist, so I, I don't get it. And I think, I don't know, we can get into it all day because then I look at it like all the other people who also get royalties on top of that and then look at it at the end of the day what the artist gets, which if it's Adele, it's still pretty Oh big yeah, bad. like the but- vast, vast majority <laughs> should always be going to the artists, of course, yeah. totally. I just think that the ways to build in a, a some back-end revenue um, on, on something that's going to make a lot of money is is okay. Like I worked, uh, my job where I worked when I was bootstrapping this before I was full-time was I built this other company for this dude. And it's like, looking back, I'm like, why didn't I get any like stake in that? I mean, yeah. I got paid what I got paid, but I mean, I took his business from zero to a hundred. And when I finally left, it was like, I'm like, I'm just going to write down that I was the COO because I mean, I, be- I did, I was, but I never, I was never given the title, you know, of course I never asked for the title and um, definitely was underpaid and definitely should have got, have a, have a stake now in, yeah. in that, that company. And I don't something that, yeah, that I, that's a lesson I learned. A similar situation is happening to a really close friend of mine. And literally that's a conversation we have every day. It's like, you need to ask for more money or you need to do something because you're literally seeing the invoices and everything. Mm-hmm. And it, it's crazy because people, like if they're not asked, they just like keep going out the merry day. Like it's, it's nothing. Do you have any questions for us? Yes. Where do you go shopping? <laughs> hey, this is Forever 21 Men's. I'm really happy. Really? Okay, I'm really happy that you asked because I, so our best friend is very similar to us. We all have the same style. We're all crazy. Similar. And literally, so, and all of our birthdays are, within, well, ours are clearly the same day, but hers is a month before ours. So we're all around the mm-hmm. same time. I got her a shirt, which is this shirt. I'm like, ooh, I need one too because I really like this shirt. So I, I put two in the cart. Then I'm like, okay, it's our birthday soon. So I'll put another in the cart. So I got all of us the same shirt. Me and Carly, we wore it the same day because when I gave it to her, I was wearing it. And mm-hmm. as soon as I walked in, she's like, I love that shirt. I'm like, ooh, do you? And so I give it to her. Then we wear it all and night. Just the thing. Yeah. We, we wear it all night. We blow up our they Instagram post. and Snap and she goes crazy. I'm like, where did you get that shirt? I need that shirt. <laughs> and, and so I knew it. And then they stopped, they started ignoring me, but then just posting photos. I'm like, this is, we're like, let's blow it up. Yeah. So that's <laughs> what they did. They blew it up and my head exploded. And then, so today I wore it today because I want us to match. <laughs> so I wore it in hopes that she would match me. And she decided, oh, mine's obviously dirty. She decided to match me. Yeah. So. We planned it. <laughs> Triplet. Um, <laughs> and so, um, it, and there's just, yeah, there's a ton of problems with it right now. Um, mm-hmm. How to how to connect with fans. And especially now that everything, t- touring is donezo for a while. Um, there is there's certainly going to be a, a lot of stuff that comes out of it. I think that is is for the good because fan engagement was broken before this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, women are the ones in the industry who probably are going to, you know, be seeing the real problems that really need to be solved and willing mm-hmm. to willing to get out there and, and do something about it. So um, hopefully you guys find, um, I'm sure you guys will find great guests for the rest of the season. Yeah. And I'm really excited that you were able to kick this off with us. I have one last question. How can listeners reach you? They can reach me on LinkedIn, Emily Satterley, S-A-T-T-E-R-L-E-E. Instagram, follow us at itty ditty. We're going to be doing a lot of like uh, Instagram lives that we're rolling out. And like I said, I'm taking the next two weeks to really talk about my brand story. And even if you're not like an artist and you're in the music business and you're, you're like, oh, what if I was an artist? Like, what would my music personality be like? That's like a free tool that you can um, use right now. And it's just like, you know, it's just people love quizzes and stuff. So um, that's a good way to kind of jump in and, and see what it's all about. Hey, I'm a well-known karaoke singer in Chicago, so I should probably just try out my personality. <laughs> that is actually true. That's, she that's loves a, that. Um, I mean, this COVID really put damper on my music career, but first time I saw her, I was blown away. Like, um, the sound might not be there, but maybe if it was recorded with some mastering, it might get there. <laughs> yeah, we could put some effects on that. <laughs> Wait, you should put that in your bio. <laughs> <laughs> the ready is.
No, honest, yeah, like I said earlier, if that was on someone's resume, I'd be like, all right, I'm doing an interview with that person, like over the person that's like worked at Warner or something. Like, I need it's called dedication, sweetie. It is. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, no, I'll definitely add all your links in the um, description of this episode so that people don't have to remember all that. I'll make it nice and easy for them. Thank you so much again, Emily. Like, it was a pleasure to have you on the very first episode of season two with women musicpreneurs, because that is now my new favorite term that I just yeah. discovered, but it's been around for a while, but that's okay. And also, and thanks for dealing with us. Yeah, thank you. I, it was fun. This is good. Two on one is the way to go. Now I'm never going to do a podcast without without twins. Yeah, just <laughs> ever again. That's like mandatory. If someone contacts me, I'm like, yes, no, you that's twins. The yeah, <laughs> and and also the key is to be in the same frame. <laughs> yes, and then and then you don't know who to look at. Yeah, no. They, um, thanks again, though. Really appreciate it. It's super excited. Thank you. Um, I'm happy that I got to experience this first podcast um, ever. Home, ever. You ever. know what, too? Like, just to end this as well, like, this was actually the first time for me that I um, told the the real personal story behind the company publicly um, about that relationship I had with um, that first producer. So I just wanted to thank you guys because I felt like this is also the first podcast that I've been on that is music industry focused and led by females. And I think that that's kind of like what gave me the gusto to, yeah. to feel comfortable to do that. So, um, so what you're doing is, is important. And um, so, yeah, thank you guys for doing that. And thank you for having me. I, wow. I really appreciate that so much. Wow. That, that is phenomenal. Cause I was actually thinking that as you were sharing it um, and you could just really feel how strongly this, I mean, really developed your idea and really like put you in the mindset that I cannot allow, or at least put it out there in the world that, you know, this is what I went through. And if you're in this, you're not alone pretty much too, like without saying that. Well, yeah. I, I've always said that good things have to fall apart before for better things to come together mm -hmm. and that's exactly the situation that mm -hmm. that you're in and yeah i i feel like so strongly on that and just hearing your transformation yep yeah thank you for letting me do it here i appreciate it Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Setup Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review the setup on Apple Podcasts. And I encourage you to share this episode with your friends and colleagues. If you have any topic recommendations or questions, please visit us at www.thesetupseries.com.